From high above South First Street in online exclusive Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy, I too make nice games. This week, your nice hosts recap the online-only GDC 2021. We'll talk about what GDC has become in its second pandemic year, and recap a few of the more interesting talks from the conference. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Everybody ready for this GDC recap? Everyone here at the table, all set, got everything you need, yep. reviewed all the... Uh, Steven, you're yep. good? Yep, yep. I Ellen, got it. I got Ellen, it. you're good? My dog ate it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> both, both dogs ate it. Fair, fair. <sighs> no, I meant to do it, and then I gave myself too many other things to do, Yeah. and I didn't do it. But I did have a question about mm-hmm. that before we get started on, you know, the useful and valuable things that you guys brought to talk yeah, about we'll, today. Yeah, we'll get there. Don't worry about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is a valuable question. Uh-huh. Yeah. So much so that we might even revisit it at the end of the episode. Ooh. Yeah, Mark. Okay. Um, <laughs> should have seen the face that he just made at me. <laughs> okay, so uh, GC puts up some other conference talks on their YouTube channel. Yes. Yeah. How many months slash years after? A conference will they put some of the videos from that conference up on the channel i don't know i thought it was a year i i think it used to be understood yeah. <laughs> it was that last year's talks would show up yeah. around this time or whatever um that might be true but also sometimes it would be like a month after okay. like a high profile it feels kind of random to the point where if there is a, a standard pattern i don't know what it is because i it's it's hard to deduce it because there are yeah. so, I mean, ultimately there are so many talks and, yeah. and a lot of them do appear on, on YouTube for free at some point. And that's the, kind of the thing that when we do the G, our GDT recaps every year, it's it's kind of knowing that like you can't really look at the video yourself, at least not right now. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them do end up, and I think more and more of them do, which, I mean, GDC is rightly criti- uh, criticized for being way too expensive for what it offers. Yeah. And it doesn't pay, doesn't pay speakers. And it's like, there's lots of problems with it. And I think we talk about that every year. Um, it gets. I mean, it should be recapped every year. <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a boring perennial topic, frankly. Um, but it's important not to forget it. Um, but they have done a good job of putting out tons of th- of those talks for free eventually, and a lot of them are timeless. So I, I have to give them a little bit of credit, even though it's kind of through clenched teeth, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Ellen, like uh, when you were saying, you know, you didn't you didn't get around to watching a couple of the talks that that you wanted to. Mm-hmm. It's actually really it's kind of interesting because of the way GDC is this year. Like we didn't go to GDC. Right. So yeah. like it's actually and, I, and um, I've talked to a bunch of other people about this. Like you take a week off from work or you take a week off from all your responsibilities to go to San Francisco. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Like I didn't realize that GDC was happening. Yeah. Um, until I don't know. People brought it up on like random discords and stuff and it didn't feel like it was a thing because i guess in the past when gdc was happening like people would be out of town and you wouldn't see somebody for a week and then they come back and say oh i did all this stuff gdc this year it was just we watched some people watch talks i guess yeah and it yeah it didn't feel like an event and a lot of people didn't take the time off because you could just do it at night you could do yeah. it you know you could recap because all the talks they're all pre-recorded yeah and then they become Im- immediately video on demand the moment they're done and so there's mm. a schedule, but who cares? Right. right. You know, right. there wasn't Q&A. A lot, there was like um, speakers were encouraged to be there at their appointed time to like chat in the, in the chat log mm-hmm. um, to sort of simulate some of the Q&A at a live event. But all the talks were pre-recorded. And then they were just and that's how I watched them is all after the fact. Yeah. Um, but I didn't it didn't occur to me for even a second 
to take time off of my other responsibilities yeah. to, to participate. Partly because it just felt like so convenient to not have to. Yeah. Um, but I've talked to a couple of people who, who just very, very few people who said, I did that and it was worth it. And I yeah. said, okay, I guess. But I mean, especially if you bought a pass yourself, then that's the time, oh, you know, well, right? Because yeah. you're you're invested, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, went went to GDC um, on a press badge this year. Yeah. Um, so partly uh, we didn't have a lot of motive, like we didn't have a lot of skin in the game yeah. to make to really make it worth our dollars, which right. is usually how it works. So we're very fortunate in that sense that we had that access. Um, and uh, you know, hopefully we're paying that forward a little bit by providing you with some content by talking about some of these things. Yeah. But yeah, it's just easy to I I. I we I watched three for this purpose of review, but I only have watched five or six total. Um, I have a huge list of things I have to get to, so I definitely um, and it, Ellen same thing, just at a different scale. Like I really thought I would have seen a, participated in a lot more of it this year than I actually did. Yeah, and I kind of you know now I have to remember not to forget to you know actually go back and 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 watch them. Like every year, I always tell myself I'm going to watch those talks later. And then I usually don't. There's always something more to do. Well, yeah. same thing. Hap- I mean, I have a terrible track record when it comes to attending, quote unquote, online conferences. Yeah. Like listeners will remember from just a month or so ago, I had the serious play conference and I didn't attend a lot of that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you were you had responsibilities at that conference. I did. Yeah, yeah, I was. I know I was doing video editing and volunteering in that regard. So there was like a little bit. Other, there was other stuff taking up my time. Yeah. But in the week since, I have it on my, I have it on my whiteboard with a sticky note. Like, watch these videos, mm-hmm. and they are all out now. Um, so I can watch them at any point, and I just haven't gotten around to it. Now I have even more videos to catch up on yeah. <laughs> with GDC. So, <laughs> yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand, and my dog ate it. Right. 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 Also that. Yes. <laughs> you know? So this is the second year that GDC has been online only. Yeah, um, it's actually the third GDC conference of a sort. Yeah, since the pandemic started, they did GDC Summer. We talked about it on the show. I don't know how much. It's sort of like who cares now, but like there was a lot of like it was postponed, and then it was re- and then it was right. like yeah. it, like it postponed indefinitely. Then it was rescheduled and it was rescheduled yep. again, yep. and then it was like okay, we're not gonna do full GDC. We're gonna do GDC Summer, which is a separate thing. Yeah. We're still doing GDC for real in the fall. And then GDC Summer was everyone put their energy. Mm-hmm. It was a smaller event, online only. And then they did do GDC in the fall as an online only event. And I don't remember even how we covered it, but like it, it, it kind of just went by. I literally it, don't even remember this happening. <laughs> yeah, and and of course, and now it's you know we're 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 not we're midsummer now. Yeah. But like GDC normally happens in March, and like right. it's not just the pandemic. It's like everything about GDC has been like kicked off its cadence in a way that's very strange. And so presumably, I mean, fingers crossed, we'll be in a position where we can do an in-person conference of that scale next March. Um, you know, we, we'll do another pandemic update, but like, mm. I'm, I'm not going to guarantee, I think we all would, would like to assume that's going to happen, Yeah. but we can't guarantee that that's going to that's gonna be a, a, a fully safe at that scale anyway. Yeah. Uh, especially as an international uh, um, uh, event. Yeah. Um, in any case, assuming that there is a GDC in March of 2022 um what's it gonna look like like an in-person like there's they did so much stuff to make the online version better in a lot of ways yeah but it missed a lot of stuff but like how do you can you pre-record talks can you get talks from more diverse speakers from around the world who don't need to travel especially because you're not paying them so that locks off a lot of knowledge that would that would uh, you know you can't bring to the show right that a lot of those people were able to participate this at these last two events yeah um when it goes back in person, are they? Is it going to be a hybrid? How is that going to work? Yeah. Uh, 
That is a very good question. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people are. I mean, we're doing that now. We're thinking about. It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally, our podcast is doing the work. It, well, it's true. Yeah, at, at our scale, it's like how are we how are we going to do? Uh, you know, we've done a lot of interviews from people all over the world this yeah. past year. How are we going to keep that going now that we really we can't, we we can't tear each other we can't tear ourselves away from this table now that yeah. we that we're back in person. Yeah. And also our local community events, our IDGA chapter, we do online events and we've had a lot of advantages doing online. What are we going to do when we do go back in person? When's that going to be blah, 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 blah. But like GDC is that, but just times a million. And like, (laughs) it will be such a shame to miss out on the stuff they uh, they get. But also the stuff on that in-person stuff, like as much as I criticize it, like I always tell people go to GDC once. It's too expensive and you're going to regret a a lot about it, but you got to go once. There's a lot of benefits to GDC that aren't, possible there aren't really natural i guess and i say possible maybe that's not completely accurate on on as, as a as an online conference because yeah. a lot of G, a lot of like gdc stuff happens because people run into each other then they have conversations those conversations lead to other conversations and pretty soon you're making a game and you didn't even realize that was happening you right. know like that the kind talks of stuff. are just mm-hmm. a com- com- component and a yeah. lot of people use gdc for that purpose for networking mm-hmm. and such and you can yeah. kind of do that at on gdc online but it's not, it's not the same. It's not nearly the same. It's, yeah. I don't think it's they had beneficial. like on they had some like sort of networking chat rooms um, that were sort of like Discord rooms. Yeah. Um, and uh, from I didn't do any of those, but the people I've talked to who had said like eh, it's okay. Yeah, like it's not. It's like I have a good time, but mm-hmm. you know, it's not quite the same thing. Yeah, and I think part of it is like you know, um, I think we've talked in recent years about like you know GDC parties and how that's being reformed. Mm-hmm. It's a slow process. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if this like two year pause will actually either halt or 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 speed up that evolution um i i'd hate that everyone is like oh we're finally back in person let's bring out the drinks you know what i mean well, I, I hope that's not it i'm but, not even talking about like parties i'm just talking about like just walking between conferences. right right well that's what i'm getting at is yeah. that so much of gdc happens outside the conference exactly uh, tons and tons of people go to san francisco every march yes. and do not buy a pass yeah um and and for the first couple of years i went i was like that's crazy because yeah. there's such this it's so valuable this conference because i'm I'm very much. I want to sit in the. I want to sit in the, the lecture hall and hear the lectures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Martha and I bonded over that. Like we just love talks. Yeah. But that's not what the true value of GDC is, which is sort of a weird shame because like, you, because the tickets are so expensive. But if you figure that out, then you can just go stay to Airbnb, spend as little money as possible, and book a ton of meetings. Yep. Um, yeah. You, that's a, that's a really good experience. Exactly. And you can't quite have that. Yeah, in y- the y- online. Yeah. 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 So that's like an aspect that. Even if it was like some kind of a hybrid thing where like they did yeah. some online things, some offline things, the people who would do the online talks would still not be able to run into people, um, you know, in San Francisco. They do their con- they do their talk on a theater screen or whatever. And then like that would be it. Yeah. Or it'd be pre-recorded, And then they barely have any interaction with GGC other than, you know, sending them the video. Um, so like there's a lot of. That content that you will just miss. You know, not being not being in person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in yeah. So it's, I so I guess what I'm saying is I don't know. Yeah. I, I I'm I'm sure that they're trying to get back into an in person event because well, first off, they can charge more money for it, but also <laughs> um, not a lot more money. Well. <laughs> They've been the tickets were very very expensive. Oh no, they they were not cheap before. They were not cheap during online, but they're <laughs> still expensive. Yeah. Either way, um, but also I think that like yeah, a lot of people value that and i think that is a lot of the importance of gdc to a lot of developers yeah um in companies who you know are um, sponsoring and such Mm -hmm. so they're gonna they're probably gonna push for a lot more in-person stuff um 
And ideally, they would do more hybrid stuff and, you know, allow more diverse speakers, people from all over the world to have conversations and stuff and have talks during GDC. But I pessimistically am not anticipating a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, oh, it's like it's hard. It's hard to move an aircraft carrier, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and they and they had to pivot, but it was really just a it was a detour. Like yes. I think when they get back, they'll have all their old. And I don't blame them in a sense like this is it's been humming for years. Like I just I hope there's a lot of energy in that organization to like apply the learnings from the past year and not just because who I think it might have just been like a separate team that handled this because it's such a different experience possibly so yeah f- fingers crossed but I also do not have a lot of confidence we'll start off with mine the first one I watched was the indie soapbox so every year GDC it's a it's a micro a bunch of micro talks that are um, done at the um, the independent game summit which is the um the the programming block of GDC that is for independent games yeah um you know uh, these the summits at GDC are themed and they're 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 scheduled by specific groups uh, uh, panels uh, for those um but the indie soapbox is great because it, it's these short two to five minute talks a bunch of them that are just uh, some of them are a little bit off kilter and they and they're really about like just ranting about something a lot of times yeah, yeah. Uh, and so they have a lot of variety and they're always fun to so they, every year I always make sure I see that. Um, and so this year, uh, there's a couple of the, the micro talks within that that I want to talk about. One of them is uh, called Representation Matters. Um, Sean Alexander Allen uh, did that one. He's an organizer. I, I know him. Yeah, he's an organizer for Game Does Color um, mm-hmm. Expo. Um, and he talked about representation and, and, and he kind of wanted to say like at the beginning, he was like, yeah, I know you've heard this before, but it's kind of different the way I want to talk about it. Yeah. And one of the things that I think um, the, the points I want to touch on that was really, really interesting to me was this impression of success. And mm-hmm. I, I think this is really, really important because especially when it comes to um, uh, making sure that there is a viable career path for um, for um, unrepresented groups. Yeah. That a lot of times we see a lot of press, a lot of retweets and attention given to, um, you know, projects from marginalized developers. And then and we think, oh, that was a that was a big hit in the world, right? In the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. So they they're doing good. These organizations that are promoting, you know, these that are trying to foster uh, uh, um, uh, these sort of um, making sure that the attention goes to more diverse places. Mm-hmm. It's working. And then you realize, like, no, gamers didn't actually buy that game. Right. And then, like, so yeah. what good is it? Yeah. And, and, and also, you know, I think um, we tend to be very secretive about our own financials. This isn't just like sharing salaries, but like indie developers they put out a game and it got some attention and it didn't sell well they don't want to tell people that they want yeah. to they want to like i'm an i'm a hit indie developer you saw my feature in kotaku you know what i mean uh-huh. but like um so he sort of makes the point that um what we see as progress it's so surface level we don't actually know that's i, I don't know if he goes into the um that conversation um or the conversation i'm about to bring up i guess but mm-hmm. like a, another thing that i think about with, with respect to that is how like m- more games nowadays feature uh, people of color, um, you know, as like the main protagonist and stuff. Yeah. And a lot of people will want want to support games that have that, but like oftentimes those games are still built by uh, not underrepresented communities. Yes, mm-hmm. he, so, did, he did talk about that. Okay, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. So sure. like that that is still an aspect that is something like people will see that and go, oh yes, we're finding you know we're breaking barriers. There's some success in that, um, but behind the scenes you don't see all that and you don't see yes that it's not it hasn't gotten more diverse right right so, it's like you know it's like we had a black president and that yeah that doesn't actually mean that much it's symbolic and the sim symbol is important right um or like you know will smith is a movie star yeah like since the 90s so it's like well how could this country be racist you know what i mean like yeah there's yeah. a lot of like 
um, there's that, and we talk about it all the time, the difference between like representation in content versus in production. Yes. And, and I think um, it, even when you know that, it's really easy to kind of see like, oh, you know, that game Deathloop's coming out. It's got two pe uh, people of color as its protagonist. Yes. That's real progress. But like, is it? Like, I mean, it is in a sense, right? It is, yeah. it is real. Yeah. But like, it, 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 you know, how hard should we be clapping for for each of these individual successes? Yep. You that know? being said, I'm going to buy that game. Yeah. Uh, it just looks ace. It's looks just, like a great game. Yeah. It's not the whole story. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's not the whole story. Yes. And yeah. but it's easy to us uh, to react as if it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought he just made it, he really laid it out pretty well. In, in a way yeah. that wasn't so dire, but also it was pretty, you know, like forceful. Like this is, yeah. like oh, yeah. we, there's Sean still is, work to do, Sean right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> he's, he's wonderful. So one of the other ones in, in the indie soapbox was a really good one. It was very, uh, called Don't Say Indie Game, like quote indie game. Okay. Uh, just really like the, the main point of this one that I really liked was this idea of like, we think of indie as a type of game, but mm -hmm. we should be thinking about it as a type of developer. And I, I don't think that's, I think a lot of people do think of it that way. I don't think it's the most yeah. novel idea, but there's like, what's an indie game? Is it an indie game, yeah. a game without a publisher? Is it yeah. a game that, that only costs this much to make? Is it, yeah. is it a game that only costs $10? Sure. What is an indie game? And I the, his position is like, let's just stop using it entirely. Like, let's just talk about indie game developers are game developers who are indie, not developers who make indie games. Sure. Right? Okay. I see that. And I, I, I like, I just like that. It was yeah. kind of a simple thesis. I guess when I think of an indie game, I mm. think of um, an artor, artor. Okay, you're talking about content then. See, that's another confusing element, right? When you <laughs> think of an art house film, yeah. you're like, oh, it was put out by A24, which is like a multi-million dollar corporation. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, or like Fox Searchlight, the bespoke art artist brand of 20th Century Fox. <laughs> right. Like you think of those as art house yeah. films. It's like, yeah. really? And like, well, I guess, yes, it's yeah. helpful to have these labels, even if they're not they're accurate only in a sense. Yep. An indie indie game has become that very much so. Yes. You know. Yeah, and so that's what I see it like when I uh, like games on itch. Including <laughs> 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 vengeance. <laughs> you can get that now for free. Yeah. Um but you should pay some. Yeah. But you know, I mean, to the definition sometimes like there are there are lots of indie games that have like that have like simple arcade style mechanics yep. that are made by small teams. Yep. But don't feel indie because they 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 don't have that kind of sense of uh, sort of grandeur and uh, uh, you know artisanal blah 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 or, right or quirkiness quirkiness yeah, comes to exactly mind too. Right. yeah yeah, yeah. Quirkiness is a good sort of style or whatever yeah yep so how would that come out in speech you'd say oh yeah i'm an indie game developer i'm an indie game developer there you go that's the difference indie game developer indie indie game developer and yep yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you know all these definitions. I just I like that as a focus. Sure, like, I I I think I probably already thought that way, but I just like the how, how stark that was put. It's just like don't say indie game anymore. I mean, I you know I'm not going to sign on and say like everyone should adopt that philosophy, but I think it's a really good thing to consider when you think about how we categorize this everything. Yeah, um, so I like that a lot. Um, the other one in this group that I really liked was about um, building uh, developer communities. And we're facing this right now in um, in, in uh, the Minneapolis area because we're sort of rebuilding after the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and uh, the IDGA chapter is sort of trying to do this with events. And um, I haven't talked about this all at all in the show, but I'm looking to to have a space that we can have for um, for developers to do their work and to hold events and stuff. And when that becomes, you know, moves along, we'll talk more about it on the show. But the, so this really hit me. Um, uh, Rachel Sala talked about uh, Glitch City LA, um, which yeah. is a, uh, you know, a, a, um, has an interesting model of funding. It's sort of an artist collective 
not that uncommon. We used to have that here. Um, and, um, you know, uh, Toronto's Hand Eye Society or Seattle Indies or there's a couple of places. Um, um, a developer I'm working with, you know, opened up a space in Olympia. That's very similar. It's kind of an idea just to have like a lot of us are, you know, one to three person teams working yeah. from home. Yep. And, um, you know, can we find a place to work together and also hold events together, you know, uh, find a way to force multiply ourselves in terms of like, you know, our sales potentials, like we yeah. play test events or we hold like preview events or we do, you know, art shows and galleries and stuff like that. And Glitch City LA has been around for almost a decade mm -hmm. and like they have they've grown in a really sustainable way. Um, and I just re really admire the sort of like, I don't know, I, I look at them with like a sort of ad admiration and jealousy of like, yeah. That what they've been able to do and, and sort of keep their scale well, sensible. They're in LA. <laughs> well, true. <laughs> they but have like, a big community so like they can get a lot of people together pretty quick. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know if I want to put enough of no, a I'm lot sorry. of that on I, there. I don't, but, yeah. I don't want to say yeah. that they didn't work at it. Yeah. it I mean, I've heard which it, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's great, but um, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, right. For sure. It's, it's harder for us. There's a difference. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. As a Midwest city, a, yeah. a, a, you know, a smaller size. Absolutely. Yes. A, there's a different challenge don't, that we have. Don't compare Minnesota apples to California oranges. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just really liked it. Um, it just, and the, the, what, one of the things she said was like, before we started this, I thought I was the only game developer in Los Angeles. Hmm. And I oh, just like, wow. and I'm like, I, we've, a lot of us have had that feeling before yeah. we found a community. Yeah. And I, I, I imagine a lot of our listeners who have their own communities, either online or in person, also felt that way at some point in time. Yeah. That's... But I feel like I'm the only one around here who is into this. Dang. Okay. Ignore what I said before. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is. It's yeah. like, it's, you, ha you really have no idea. And the thing mm -hmm. is, is even a mid-sized metropolis like Minneapolis has so many people. Yeah. Like, yeah. of course, like we're going to have a critical mass of people interested in this. Right. And so um, I think it's, um, yeah. And and then as you, as you learn, as you build that community, you, you learn what the limits really are, yeah. how big it really is, yeah. including the people who haven't joined in yet. Yep. Um, anyway, just the way that she presented that is sort of like a, um, kind of a little, little summary of, of their history and, and how they adapted to the pandemic, which is something we've had to do here in our community as well. Right. And the slow march back to, you know, back to reality to call it something. And, uh -huh. and, and, and like we're talking about with GDC, what lessons you take with you yeah. and what can you bring and what you hope not to lose the learnings that you had. So yeah. that was, I really, I, I enjoyed that little talk. Cool. Um, all right. So that was Indie Soapbox. There was other talks in there. Um, but I just wanted to highlight those three. Um, another talk I want to talk about was a friend of the show, August Brown, yeah, yeah. who's been on the show. Uh, he's local uh, to uh, Minneapolis. He is the um, a producer at Armor Games. Uh, he was formerly at Congregate, and at that when he was with them, he came on the show to talk about um, publisher developer relations. Yes. and we loved that episode so much that we I think we re aired it during one of our uh, repeat blocks. Yeah. Um, and uh, he he did a talk um, called "Demystifying Indie Publishing Offers," and what I loved about it. <laughs> is one august is just a, a font of knowledge like he's <laughs> yeah he's brilliant he's smart he's clever he's funny he's like an enjoyable person he's great to be around um you know we're pro august brown here on the show um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um but also um he he prefaced this talk with a really interesting thing that i thought was so key which was this slide he said it was like why would you listen to me right which is a pretty common thing you say my these are my qualifications this is why i might be someone to listen to but then he followed that up with why should you be skeptical of me I like that. And, and he, you know, and he laid it out. He's like, I've never worked for any, any I've never worked on the dev side. I've only worked for publishers. Like I have my own views and, you know, you, and, and you, and I'm not going to be able to give it. He was, he was very, um, 
it was just this like it really almost a third of the talk was disclaimer before he really got to the meat of it. Yeah. And but what was interesting about it, it was so that alone was a, re- a lot of interesting education. Yeah. Um, and, and then the rest of the talk was just the stuff every developer needs to hear about a publishing contract, about what are where are the red flags? What are the core components of it? Um, this is a learnings that I went through a couple of years ago when we were, you know, pitching out Widget Satchel and really helped me when we, uh, uh, uh signed it to, uh, to worker bee in Japan mm-hmm. and going through the way he lays it out, um, is like, oh, this is, he's doing it in such a great way. So I, I really hope that that talk ends up on the, uh, on the, the YouTube channel, um, for, uh, for people to see, cause it was really, really good. Um, but one of the things that also in this talk that it was just fun was that every slide had a picture of a cute dog on it. So oh, yeah, that's he started, like, he's like, he's like, you know, you want to be making your game. You want to be doing your fun stuff. This is boring. Mm-hmm. So, so he didn't acknowledge it in this talk. It's just every slide, a majority of it was a photo of a dog, which is yeah. very cute. So it was just, it was a fun watch, I think is the other oh, yeah. thing about it. Um, and uh, one of the things he says in it is just about the power dynamics. So he's like, listen, the truth is your power dynamics are always going to favor the publisher mm-hmm. because a developer, that's why you want to field multiple offers, right? You want to, you, you don't want to get the first offer you get. You want to get as many offers as possible so you have some leverage. And so you have some choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also he's very clear about you're not going to get everything you want. And also the publisher should not get everything they want. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, I, I think he just really laid it out in a way that hopefully developers will have the confidence to understand that relationship. And I think, and I know that's the way he works with developers is to make sure that they know they have power to negotiate and like uh, being very upfront and honest about that. Um, and I, I, I admire him for, for trying to spread that as, as a, um, a way to run a publishing arm, right? Yeah. Um, the one thing that I, I wanna follow up with him personally about this, because <laughs> I hear this all the time in a lot of topics that get hairy, like when it comes to contracts, and I'm de- dealing with this now in another area, is the, the advice like, Get a lawyer. You need a lawyer. Get a lawyer. You need to get a lawyer. You, it makes sense to you. We got to get a lawyer. Got to get a lawyer. And I think that uh, August said that repeatedly because mm-hmm. he said that you, I, that's the main thing. Is like it, it's important to know all this stuff. It's important to know how it works. But you need a lawyer to look at it. Yeah. And um and I think that's absolutely right. And that uh, but the thing that I I want to ask him about is um I've heard that advice all the time. Is like how do you do that? How like do you, do you get call a up like hello one uh, eight uh, hundred lawyers? I need yeah. one. <laughs> I need one for my game. But, you know, it's difficult because, you know, uh, you, you, you imagine you have to pay for it. But, like, yeah. what, what services are you asking for? Yeah, because there are different types of lawyers. Yeah. Not just- are you, it's like, I need you on retainer until this negotiation is done. Yeah. I want to pay you for three hours of your time to review this contract. Yeah. What is that? And I think that that's outside the scope of what August's talk was. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the one piece of, like, this is, I, I, I feel there's a lot of time with the knowledge you get. And in, unless you really immerse yourself and go deep and, and, and pull back all the layers of this stuff. Sometimes you'll get this. Here's how it works. And you're like, great. I didn't I don't actually know what to do now. Yeah. And, and I think that was one where I, I sort of was like, oh, that, that's that's the next thing we need. There's some like there's lots of legal talks at GDC, yep. a couple of really good ones. But I would love a here's how you here's how you open up the phone book. Right. And, and call it, up like, and yeah. Call and like they're help you look over this. And, document. you know, uh, the law legal profession is varied. Right. You're, mm-hmm. you're not going to talk to a real estate lawyer. You want to talk to an entertainment lawyer. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Like, how do you find that? And, you know, in your area or does it need to be in your area? Do you need to meet in person? Like, what's that? What's the communication like? Yeah. The email back and forth. What are the deliverables you'd ask from them if you're hiring them to help you with the contract? Are they going to rewrite it for you so you can send it, you know, as a negotiation? Yeah. Are they going to give you notes? Like, how would all that process? I'm, I don't know. It's just I'm desperate for that talk. Um, anyway, n- n- I just uh, ask August ab- about like what he tells people that first step is because yeah. it's way outside the scope for him to be able to yeah. offer all that information. Yeah. 
But that, I just was thinking about that every time he said that. It was like, oh, that's, that's one of those untapped areas that yeah. I, I can't wait for someone to uncover. Well, I added it to our backlog of topics. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> we will be the ones who provide the information. Um, oh, right. dang, dang, we should. All right. Well, no. you can. I don't know anything about lawyers. <laughs> I only know a little bit. <laughs> that's not helpful. It's more than me. That's outside the scope of this episode. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Fair, fair. Okay. So the last one uh, that I want to talk about is um, called uh, How to Avoid an, Ident- an Identity Crisis as a Tentacle Designer. Oh, I wow. love that title. Yeah. And um, this was a moderated panel um, hosted by John Art Diaz, um, a, a AAA tentacle designer. And um, the, the, the whole panel was AAA technical designers. Oh, now, sure. what is a technical designer was a big part of this talk because it's kind of a newer field. And yeah. so a lot of it was describing the role and also um, each of the panelists describing how it was different for their, in their companies. So I'm like, oh, I'm trying to start up a department or I started as this, but then once I realized this was a thing, I asked to get my title changed and then we started building this, this, this department at our company. Um, and the reason it sort of hit me is because when we were doing the Ludum Dare game jam um, a couple months ago, um, uh, Johnny, uh, when Johnny and I were working together on the code, yeah, um, he just said like, "Hey, you know, you're a technical designer," and I'm like, "What's that?" <laughs> oh. And and so and so that stuck with me because because I've always had a and I think I've talked about this before. I've had a difficulty defining myself. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of indie developers do. Like we're generalists. We do a lot of stuff. Like like I write music and I also do code and I also write scripts. And it's like, well. You really can't put on a business card. I do everything. I'm the best. Like that's such a. I mean, one, it's not true. You know, right? Also, it's really hard to sell yourself, and so that's why I've always, I've never really considered myself. I've never been that interested in like applying for jobs because what job do I want, right? And so that's always been a difficult part for my game dev career. I've always considered myself. Well, I'm just going to make my own games. That was always my first thought. It wasn't until recently that I considered anything other than that. Mm -hmm. And um, but to hear this defined, it actually does fit me pretty well. Um, at least where I would fit on a larger team. Can you define that again? Yes. So um, the the way they describe it is sort of it, it comes out of a, a um, like a generalist becomes a technical designer is kind of how they say like. Okay. And uh, basically, it's like the glue that holds all the departments together. So like um, uh, so technically de- technically minded uh, designers is kind of what they say. So okay. it um, the way that, at least in AAA the, and a lot of these developers uh, um, talked about it, is generally it's a support role. So mm-hmm. uh, you're sort of the um, you're the liaison between design and programming. Yeah. Um, uh, and so a lot of times it's like a designer has this system. Yep. A programmer has these libraries and like this and like a, 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 a technical designer says like, well, this is how you will build that. And here and here's my technical design document. Yeah. Uh, to take all of these things like, oh, we need a system where the 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 character does this when this happens. Yeah. And then you say, well, OK, this is literally how we're going to do it because that's not a designer's job. Right. Necessarily yeah. is to is to tell the engineers literally how to do it. Yeah. Um, and frequently it was the engineer's job to come up with how literally how to do it. And that would. And so there but there was no translation layer. And so that's yeah. what a technical designer does, okay. at least in the AAA space. So one of the things that I bristled against a little bit is partly because like I do sometimes see myself as an auteur. Like I, I want to be, you know, a. I want to be the idea person, yeah. but I also do want to write, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the code that turns a byte array into an integer or whatever. Yeah. Like I, I do want to do that. Um, but hearing them talk about it as a support role, they say like, listen, the important thing is to know is like, if you want to do this, you need to have a lot of skills on your ways. You need to be able to pick up parts of the production that no one else is doing so that, it, so that it can be the bridge between two things that aren't two departments that aren't talking to each other enough. Mm-hmm. And I find a, I'm like, oh, that, I love doing that. When mm-hmm. I was working in, in film and video, when I was working in advertising, like I would 
I would I loved being the contact point between copywriters and art directors mm. because I knew a little bit about both. And yeah. so that, that felt very satisfying to me. Yeah. And I didn't care that I wasn't the one coming up with either, you know, the top down part. Like that never bothered me in, in that part of my professional life. Yeah. Um, but I making games, I maybe have a little bit more investment in. So part of me was like, oh, that's kind of a shame. But like, you know, like people with a lot of talent and drive and have that kind of holistic sense that I always value in the work that I do, their best place at a AAA studio is to be behind the curtain as the glue holding it all together. And, and that is so you kind of have to like that you have to be comfortable with that um, um, and have satisfaction for providing tools and systems that assist. And you can then, you know, a big part of the project becomes, you know, yours. Yeah. But not in the same way that it is for other people. I don't know. I mean, like, it makes sense. That makes sense to me that you'd have that reaction. Yeah. But also having, I mean, having seen so many smaller projects just completely fall apart because of breakdowns in communication between design and development. Yeah. yeah. Like that, if that person, if that role is needed, there is no substitute for someone who can cross pollinate like that. Yeah. yeah. And it, and there being a support role is actually kind of vital to it working. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because you, you want somebody who has, who is a, sort of a, um, I guess a sort of a neutral player in a sense, mm-hmm. right? They they want to, and and so this is a relationship I always had with clients in the old days, where they had the, they wanted to do something. It was their idea. They didn't know how to do it, right? And I know how to do it. So my job was to deliver their idea. And there's a lot of creativity in that. There's a lot yeah. of satisfaction you can get from it. Yeah. Um, but I don't in games. I've I've uh, hearing that I'm like, oh, that's me. That's totally me. Mm-hmm. But I'm like. I don't want to do that in games necessarily. You don't want to have it be your full-time job necessarily. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was kind of like at a moment like, oh my God, I could put that on my business card. It's exactly what I am. Oh. And then and then part of me is like, oh, but you know what? That actually isn't what I want. Right. Sure. Okay. You that know? makes a lot of sense. Now I understand. Yeah. 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 Okay. But it was very enlightening. And I think, I, I do think a lot of, if you do find yourself on a small indie team, having that satisfaction of being that glue, it is a thrill, right? To, to, to be that, to be that connective tissue. Like yeah. I, I get a lot of thrill out of it personally. If that's you and you know, you can go far. This is a new field. It, it, you become incredibly valuable. Like, in fact, one of the, uh, the pitfalls that they described in this talk was you become indispensable because you're the only one who knows the various ins and outs of all these different things. Yeah. And so documentation, mm-hmm. training, um, you know, uh, 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 making sure that you have juniors that you can assign and that you can have a, um, a continuity that's so important to avoid burnout because technical designers suffer from burnout more than other types of, of designers mm-hmm. um, it, 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 to like a, at least way they describe it to an order of magnitude. Oh. Um, and so I, and I'm like, oh, I could totally see how that would happen. That's super interesting. One of the things that um, that came to mind, I promised I was going to give you some tough questions uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm going to well, I'm vamping here. I'm going to come up with the words to go with my idea, my idea, and I'm going to make those words into a tough question for you, Mark. <laughs> um, but I was just thinking like, oh gosh, how would my husband, Eric, the scrum master mm-hmm. react to this role? Because to me, it seems very anti-agile. Like it's creating uh, a silo yeah, yeah. where you don't want silos, right? And instead mm-hmm. of actually solving the problem, which is design and development, not communicating well, mm-hmm. maybe because you don't have good cross-functional teams, um, we are inventing another role that is yeah. taking on this, this, this the role of communicator, but then you're investing a whole bunch of effort and skill Mm -hmm. into this one person and you're making the the project overall vulnerable to that person's burnout and leaving. So I I don't know. I do have a response to that, which is the, um, and this is part of what from this talk, but this is also a little bit of of me applying sort of my knowledge and experience, which is that um, one of the things that uh, generalists tend to uh, get frustrated by is that phrase, jack of all trades, master of none, right? 
And if you are the glue that holds everything together, then you become that commutative liaison. You can be a jack of all trades, right? Because you can know a little bit about what they do, a little bit of what they do, and make sure that they are in sync or whatever. Mm-hmm. But a tentacle designer actually does a lot of does the work too, ah, right? Okay. And so that and what that means is being able to know a little bit about this and a little bit about that is a new skill nobody else has. And so a designer should not need to know how to write a class. Like they shouldn't have. I mean, it's a good idea, I guess, but like they didn't have yeah. to, right? It's yeah. part of their job description. You know, and a programmer shouldn't necessarily need to worry about the design implications of some of the stuff that they're building, right? Yeah. I think ideally, you, I mean, personally, I feel like everyone should know a little bit about everything. Like, I kind of want everyone to be this a bit. Yeah. But, but in a highly structured, multiple, you know, many person organization, a, a, an efficient system, that, that communication isn't always about t- talking in a meeting, making sure you know what the other yeah. one wants. It's yeah. about someone who literally understands what they're both saying and actually able to do some implementation. Uh, yeah. And I think that that and that that is a that is a way that's one of those things that like if you are if you do feel that kind of frustration of not being an expert in one topic or not being gone to as an expert in one topic and being seen as a jack of all trades, a tentacle designer is, is that role is a way for you to sort of prove how uniquely qualified you are mm-hmm. uh, in in some of those cases. And so that I'm not sure if that fully answers your question or solves that dilemma. I don't think that Ellen asked the question yet. <laughs> I didn't technically ask a question. Okay. But there was maybe a question implied, yeah. which yeah. is is it a good idea? Yeah, oh, well there you go. Yep. For sure, for sure. Cuz it could it, I mean it could be just basically like, well this is just is it just spackle in an organization? Yeah, that's really And, and I think the 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 and it's an evolving field, right? Mm-hmm. Um but I I would like to think because I've definitely I mean I've talked to designers who like like i'm like you would you think differently if you knew how these things are built yeah and, and it would waste less of your time and right. i've talked to engineers who uh, i'm like you would think differently if you knew how games were designed like and and it's neither their fault necessarily right it's like not it's not right. necessarily incumbent upon them to be an expert in the other thing because they have lives to lead well right? yeah exactly right? and you're you know you're involved in something that's so complex on its own that yeah. you don't have the time to be expert in two things mm-hmm. um but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't maybe endeavor to be a little bit t-shaped it sounds like the technical designer is the expert at being t-shaped a little bit yeah and you know some of it's like well is this just everyone like saying things to feel good about themselves <laughs> like the situation that exists adapt you know but um but this I, again another talk i do hope ends up on the on uh, on the, the youtube channel because i think it it was very clarifying for me because I ha- I've had a difficult time explaining some of those things about like why that, why it is kind of important to be multidisciplinary. Yeah. Um, independent of like what you actually want to do. Like you should know about other stuff. And it's like, well, if there's a role for that, then it's really just about a project being multidisciplinary, yeah. and, you know, and a way to, to actually have those, those connections. And not necessarily every person has to be because it's it's also a lot to ask of any one person is to like, you're a 3D artist. Well, make sure you know how to do this, this and this too. Otherwise, you can't do your best work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so uh, having a having a, a institutional solution to that. Yeah. Um, it, it appeals to me mm-hmm. in a sense. Right. Yeah. And, you know, but honestly, it also means like, well, then there's a place for me in AAA if I ever want to go that route. Don't do that though. I won't. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I I find this interesting because like I um I would prefer to just specialize in one thing. Yeah. I, I tend I, I do multiple things um begrudgingly because I am into it. <laughs> but um yeah, I I um uh, I think that like I, I feel like I'm better it's easier for me to work on something if I just have one task ahead of me and I don't mm-hmm. have to split my 
brand in between into two different things. Yeah. At this new job that I have, like I am my programmer. And so uh, I really just been focusing on the programming. And actually, and it's been kind of weird when I when there's like design implications that I need to do. I'm like, I don't know where to take this direction because yeah. <laughs> I'm not the designer. I shouldn't be the one figuring this out. I should ask for advice. So I take that up um, in our meetings yeah. um, and talk about it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a technical designer because we're not AAA. Um, but like, I think I do tend to sort of fill the role of technical designer in some ways because I talk with design yeah. to figure out how to implement things into the game. And that's kind of, I mean, essentially that's an endorsement of, of there being someone else doing that role mm-hmm. is because you, you're doing more than you've been hired to do now. Right. I mean, which I think we all have. We, I mean, people like you and me have ambitions for that. Right. We, that doesn't, that doesn't bother us. Yeah. But you know, in terms of actual, like at scale, like having a a technical designer on that team to consider the design implications and then also be with you on the, in the Git repo. Yeah. You know, there's utility to that. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Mm. So like, it's really, (laughs) Ellen is not quite there yet. (laughs) Well, I don't, I don't have, I personally don't have feelings one way or the other. Like, but but it seems to me like oh, one of the reasons that those kinds of things can happen in organizations is because there's a desire for efficiency or to meet a deadline or something mm-hmm. um, time related. Right. And you need to get communication up and running as fast as you can so you can meet that deadline. Yeah. Um, whereas the best thing for the organization long term, holistically, and also for the people and for the product is to teach people and give teach people to communicate and collaborate and give people the time they need to communicate and collaborate. So what you're, you know what I'm hearing from you is you, is you're saying this is taking uh, responsibilities away from producers. I, that actually wasn't the way I was going. No, that's not where I intended to go with it. What I was thinking of is this is a way to continue making people crunch. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, okay. Which I don't necessarily think I entirely agree with that. Um, you can't see my face, but my eyes are way up in the air, <laughs> which, uh, but I could, I don't know. It would be something to explore. I yeah, think systematically, yeah. you know, we were talking, one of the first things that you mentioned about the, in- the indie soapbox was like, what you see on the surface is not necessarily the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this strikes me as something like, okay, this is a cool invention. I could also see how it could become a, an anti-pattern, mm-hmm. you know, where this, instead of improving the way that the teams work together and the way that the organization manages its own work, we'll just hire a technical designer and they'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Steven, I don't think you were entirely done with your thought. No, I'm pretty much done now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm glad that you brought all of that up because I think that was very important. And also, I mean, like what you're saying too kind of does make sense because like Mark was saying, technical designers are more prone to burnout. Yeah. So maybe there is something to that. We, I mean, I'm not, I'm not technically a technical designer, so uh, I don't know, but I don't know. Um, I think this, it, it, I mean, shoot, now I want to watch this talk. Yeah. That's where I'm at. <laughs> Do our press credentials still work? Hey, folks, this is not the first time we've talked about GDC on the program. In fact, uh, my, if my recollection is correct, we've done this, at, I think, once a year. Does that sound right? Yeah, that, yep, that tracks. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How often is GDC? <laughs> <laughs> once a year, I believe. We've gone to GDC, some or all of us, and we've come back with stories. Yeah. And so 
um, this format as, a, as one we've done before. So we encourage you to check those out in our past episodes archive. Steven, tell us, why is it cool that we have this cool archive? Tell us about it. Well, I mean, uh, we have a lot of episodes. There's what, this, what episode is this? 228? 228! <laughs> so many episodes. Specifically with the GDC episodes, there's a lot of content. You, it, we were just saying that there's so many talks, there's so many things that you can watch, and it's hard to keep them all. We kind of disseminate some of the ones that we have talked about in these in these specials. And so, like, you can get a lot of that insight. And at least you, we are highlighting some of the ones that, like, might be worth your time to check out. It's all worth your time. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Go to NiceGames.club to check out um, our past episodes. Well, Ellen, uh, what, how many talks did you watch? I know. I, I already teased you about. We already teased you. I watched it. zero talks. Yeah, and I don't want to tease week. you about it. No, anymore. that's okay. It's no, you can't embarrass Ellen. She's too confident. She's too self-assured. <laughs> She's very comfortable having biffed on this assignment. You can't make her feel bad. It's, it's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not true, Mark. You can't be to me. <laughs> oh dang! I'll just. <laughs> I'll just go get some ice cream and watch talks and never say anything about my... T- I'm going to come back here in two weeks and I'm be like, guess how many talks I watched in the last two weeks. See, Steven, she yeah, just rolled, like Ellen. She just picked it right back up. I love it. No, but you know what, you guys? I'm going to be like, zero talks. Zero talks. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, one of the fun things... This is general. This is a general observation about conferences. Yeah. But, you know, you'll go through ahead of time. You're like, I want to watch this one. I want to watch this one. And if you end up... I don't know. Oftentimes, I'll just end up in a random one and be like... This was super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that that's something that, you know, isn't it, it actually I, you, there's a little bit of an element to that on the online version. But like sometimes when you're just like there in the moment, you're bored and you're in between talks you wanted to watch, mm-hmm. you just go into a random talk, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you can kind of have that experience because you're just like GDC is happening. I'm going to go browse the thing and go, oh, wow, there's this talk on spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> um, but it's not it's not quite the same. So I I, I get it. I should uh, at some point when I want to add another side project to all my side projects, yes. mm-hmm. make like a GDC talk randomizer where you just go to a page and oh, you press I a like button it. and it just spits out a talk from the yeah. YouTube channel. You know, I was talking to people in a networking group about like about GDC and about how like I was like oh yeah it, it feels so random it's just like you know pick all the things I like and whatever and somebody was saying like oh yeah but I'm actually in a particular role at my company I'm looking for very specific talks yeah and I'm like oh right I didn't occur it didn't occur to mm-hmm. me that that's actually a pretty common experience at GDC and so like the uh, uh, we were talking about the YouTube page about how eventually yeah. a lot of them end up in there and so I'm like that's they do such a good job of putting many of them for free eventually mm-hmm. that feels good enough like it feels like you you know there's so many and it's great. And then he was saying like, no, no, no. Some of the ones I need are not are put out, out there. there. I'm like, oh, yeah. didn't, oh, I just look at what's available and look at what is interesting yeah. to me be- yeah. because I kind of am interested it, in everything. And then that makes sense. But I think, yeah, like I think it makes a lot of sense that people appro- approach it that way. And GDC is kind of built for that because it has mm-hmm. different tracks. Yeah. Like I think when I'm there, I'm just walking around and boom, there's a thing and I'll go into it. But like, I think, yeah, because that's this is the reason why they have the different track. They have the design track, the programming track. Mm-hmm. The VR track and all that stuff. Yeah. Because people have specific interests. Yes. Um, and they have a little bit of that structure on the YouTube page. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that, you know, is always... that One thing I really appreciate about that, uh, the fact that they do put those episodes out, or those uh, um, We Do episodes, they do talks. They put the talks <laughs> up on the page uh, because, like, 
my interests and the things that I'm that I want to research change over time. So yeah. like there might be a lot of talks about the technical side of the code that I'm just not really interested into right now, like really not interested in right now, but six months from now I might need that. So yeah, I appreciate that from them. Although, you know, people who are paying all that money to go to the conference are, well, they deserve some credit for yeah, that too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thank you, people who've paid all that money. Mm-hmm. There, man, there's uh, at GDC, like the first couple of years I was there, just the absolute, just like terrifying fear of missing out, mm. uh, of like not getting there early enough to not getting into the popular talks, not seeing the one thing, the, the thing I was wanted to see more than anything else. Yeah. Like, but, if, but then that means I'll miss two things that I really wanted to see. Yeah. To see the one thing I desperately want to see. Yeah. And like, I've definitely chilled out about that over the years because one, there's ways to see those things now. Right. But I also know that I'm not going to look at the vault <laughs> that often. Like, you know, I, I know, you know, you're, there's only so much you'll go back to. The, the experience in the week is actually pretty important. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, it's so, I guess I'm like, oh, you know what? I, I kind of wish I was just like, you know, into one thing and then I could just see all that, all those things. <laughs> like, it's, it does. I just keep forgetting that that's a pretty common experience. Is, mm-hmm. to, is to choose your track, stick to it. Yeah, and you know, whereas I'm very much like, I I want to see the 101 on a thing I've never I know nothing about. Mm-hmm. Like then then mm-hmm. I'll get me started on that knowledge or whatever. Or like I want to see the you know the advanced topic on something that I'm interested in and know a little bit about, but never use in my day to day life or work. Yeah, and I still want. I'm desperate to see that. I just have totally because I never think of it in a career oriented way, the way you're supposed to. Well, right. Not necessarily supposed to. You can, I don't know. You can consume GDC content however you want. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's, yeah. that is true. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it, it, GDC serves different purposes. I know it's the game developer conference, and it is career oriented, but uh-huh. it's also a lot of good content for everybody to look right. at. So, um, Stephen, yes, what perspective did you take when you were choosing videos to watch this week? Um, I took the perspective that I needed to watch some talks for this special. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> that feels bad. Yeah. Um, it's not, I mean, like, so I, I think I've talked about this in previous GGC episodes, but I don't tend to like watching talks because um, yeah. I like lectures and I get bored easy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, yeah, I know. <laughs> I hear you. It, it, and it depends on the topics, too. Like, actually, the, 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 the talks that I did watch were interesting and they were, and they were good. Like, I, I was entertained throughout mm-hmm. too partly because like one of the things well, so was it the dog pictures no there were no dog pictures oh wow were there any there were dogs but there weren't really wait dog what pictures okay tell me more the- <laughs> i'm ready i'm, I'm leaning forward well, tell me all about these it. from their home offices right no there yeah. weren't oh there weren't real dogs oh. they were in the game not interested anymore <laughs> but you i'm gonna close my laptop <laughs> <laughs> um why don't I just start? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'll stop interrupting you. No, you're fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. I went to the, what was exper- Experimental Games. Workshop. Workshop. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I forgot the last word. Um, I, I watched that talk. It's like an hour and hour, 20 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they basically just showed a whole bunch of experimental games um, that people are working on. I went into it with ambitions thinking, oh, man, these these games are going to revolutionize how we look at games in the future and stuff. And I mean, that's really um, uh, <laughs> it's a tall ask. <laughs> it's a tall ask and it's a bit naive. But I, uh-huh. I, um, I don't know. I, I, I had ambitions. And to be honest, some of those things actually did reach those, those yeah. ambitions. That's cool. Oh. Um, it was pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I took notes on all the different games I um, yeah. looked at. Yeah. 
Um, well, I just want to just interrupt you real quick. The, yes. the, the, the experimental de design workshop is something that happens at GDC every year. It does. And I, I, it's very popular. Yeah. Um, and they put out screens in the hallway so people can overflow can see it's that popular in person. Yeah. And it's a big hall they put it in. Yeah. Um, and cause it's just seeing like maybe the something will be here will be the next, the next hit in five years or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, but also just people love the, the content. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and sometimes there it's a bust and sometimes mm -hmm. it's got three earth shattering concepts yeah and i kind of like that about it yeah it's very much a grab bag you don't know and of course that's your own assessment right that everyone's going to look at these things with different their own different lenses and that's what's that's what's so good about it. that's why it endures i think yeah well and some of these are experimental for different reasons too because not yeah. all of the games are like some games are experimental for technical reasons some mm -hmm. of them are experimental for design reasons yeah they're um, pretty broad definition which is cool quite a few of these broke my brain once <laughs> or twice um it's yeah it's pretty fascinating um, so the first game that was on this was called uh, Shim. Or well, there were like three different that's ways how you, you pronounce it. There were three different ways you could pronounce the name. Like this was the Shim. intro. It's it's spelled S C H I M. Mm -hmm. Ooh, uh, like schism and Shim. I think that was one of the ones. Schism. Was that the experimental part of this game? <laughs> one of the experiments. <laughs> uh, so you play as like uh, a spirit. Or a shadow or something. I wasn't exactly clear on how you play it, but mm -hmm. like the tech was really cool. You kind of like jump between chat, like shadows of different objects, and not just like living objects, but like um, uh, mailboxes and stuff too. Oh, mm -hmm. fun! Um, and it was like the basically they displayed a lot of like the the technical feat that they were doing. I think this was like uh -huh. a really cool technical um thing. Um, yeah, it was really fascinating. Um, how they did all that stuff, and like it was basically designed. And it seems like it's going to be a puzzle game. There's a game I played a long time ago, not super long ago, but kind of long ago that was called Contrast. Yeah, yeah, that was like a PS4 launch title, right? I think it was, yeah. Something yeah, like yeah. in in yeah, it played you like you played as a character that could walk in on shadows and things. Very cool. Um there was a Wii game, uh like a Hudson Soft Wii game. God, I forget the name of it. That yeah. was maybe a couple years earlier. That also had a similar premise. Yeah. Um, where you were a shadow and you, it was a puzzle game. Yeah. Which is similar to this game that you're talking about, which I, I've, I've heard a little bit about. Mm -hmm. um, but it does seem like conceptually, it's not that it's like the newest idea, but like it, implementation is, yes. is an incredible challenge. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it seems like a lot of the puzzles that they, they, they displayed um, in this game are similar to the, 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 the game or the, to like how contrast worked. Mm -hmm. Those oh, puzzles. Cool. So yeah, it's it's interesting and be worth checking out. <laughs> All right, next game, Imprint. Oh yeah, you are a hive mind. This is basically how <gasps> they brought up the Borg mark. I'm sure that you appreciate <gasps> uh <-huh>. that. <laughs> cool. I do. Uh -huh. <laughs> But basically, it's like if if you were a hive mind and you like controlled all of these bodies, what would that look like? And it the way that it was kind of like laid out like a narrative, like how they just or how they went through this like mindset and how they evolved the the game concept. Mm -hmm. And it's unclear how the game actually plays because it. They showed like four different ways that the game was potentially yeah. meant to be played. So is it like there's a bunch of like machine learning agents that you influence rather than a character? No, you no, you control. So basically you control all of the characters that you activate. Like mm -hmm. you start out as one person and then you walk up and you touch a clone of you or something. And then now you're two people. Um, oh, so it's the Mario cherry. Yes, actually. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm but, back in. <laughs> But like what what happens is like your your vision you you see both of those characters both of their visions uh, you can okay. like through their eyes so you're walking and you're trying to do that and I guess if you like stand at a station uh, or a switch and you activate the switch 
then that body doesn't move and you can use that to like move around stuff. But eventually you're controlling like four bodies, five bodies and stuff. And it gets really complicated and confusing. Uh, right. Mm. So once you're looking through five viewports, suddenly you can't give all the, your attention to one. You, and so the, your behavior changes. And it becomes player. very difficult to determine where you are, where every, where all of your bodies are, yeah. where you are oh, interesting. at the same time. Uh-huh. Like the, the way that the, I, what I really enjoyed about this one was like the way that they described it, their whole mindset. Eventually it became a thing where like, well, now you're a hive mind, but like, you know, as a, as a, you as a body, regular person as a body, you know how to like open doors and stuff. So like as a hive mind, you would know how to open doors too even if the store has multiple switches that are necessary to open it. So like if you walk up to the door and op- hit open door, like the rest of your body is just naturally moved to the other switches that require you to open the door. Uh, okay. sort of okay. thing. It was, yeah, it's kind of weird. The whole game, the, like the, the gameplay like switched between like first person and, and like uh, top down perspective. Oh, what's stuff. interesting about that example is that, yeah. so there's two ways you could approach it. You could say like what, how difficult it is for you to try to behave like a hive mind. Yeah. Or, more narratively, what is it? What does it feel like to have a successfully operating hive mind? Yes, right. Yeah, like the, that is interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, it's I I the whole thing. I'll just check it out. Yeah, yeah um, I'm but, excited for that. that yeah, looks, this game was weird. Wow. Okay, it was cool. Um, this next game is called Hyper Rogue. You play a rogue like in a hyperbolic plane thing. Hurt my head is my the the note I took. <laughs> <laughs> it did hurt my head because uh-huh. it was like I don't know like. Whenever they moved, everything else moved in a way that I did not understand. It's very mathematically complex, I think. Right. And by very mathematically complex, I mean that like computers can do it, but like humans have a hard time perceiving uh-huh. it. So I did. Uh, <laughs> um, but what was interesting about it was like uh, the design implications of it is because you were in a regular roguelike, like say it's a, you're just in a square and every the enemies chase you and you're surrounded by like two enemies on like the bottom and right of you mm-hmm. if you wanted to if you moved up to the right and the enemies moved at the same or at the turn afterwards they would move and catch up with you yeah immediately but in this hyperbolic plane thing if you do the same thing you move and but their movements for some reason they one of them will move less and so you can deal with the enemies individually if you move cleverly Okay. I cannot describe it well because I do not understand the math. So it's like it's but, like it's like tactics, but on a non-Euclidean plane. Or yes, yeah. exactly. Yes, basically okay. that. I'm watching a <laughs> video. That sounds of it. like so, are you watching it? That now? totally sounds like my jam. Yeah. yeah, no, it would be. I'm watching a video of it and it definitely feels like it's doing to my brain yeah, the physics of Interstellar. Like when Neil deGrasse uh-huh. Tyson tried to explain things yep. that happened in Interstellar. It's like, yep. okay. Yeah, my intuition does not work that way. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I can't really describe it well enough. Very cool. It's definitely worth looking at. Um, I think the the Xeno Rogue maybe is the developer. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a bunch of other things that they had too. Um, so you know, check that out. Um, the next game I'm talking about is a board game called Chroma. It's spelled K R O M A. Uh huh. Um, it's a board game where you create colors using a light source. Like there's like a triangle. Um, and then you like. I think each person is like on a team, like team green or team um, purple. Mm-hmm. And basically what you want to do is you want to take this. I think it's just a white light source. You want to put pieces on this triangle to get more of your color than anybody else. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and they like describe their whole process in how they designed it actually. And it was kind of interesting about this too. is like their, their process, the way that they described it um, was it, it could only have been made 
at like the New York Game Center in Academia because like I think that there was just like a perfect storm of all of these things that uh-huh. led to this game idea. Very I don't cool. know how. I mean, it sounded accurate. When <laughs> it was a little presumptuous, but I'll, I'll buy it. But like, <laughs> I don't know. I I I I liked I liked how um there were two women who had described it, and I liked how these they they had described all of the game and stuff. How they it seemed like they had a whole business plan and stuff. Yeah, like it felt, <laughs> it felt more developed than a lot of the other games. Ah, I see. I see yeah. <laughs> so that feel, that was cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but um, that one's worth checking out, and I think it was the only board game on display hmm. too um, hmm. during this thing. I don't know how often they will display board games during the the experimental games. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I feel like they have before, but yeah, I don't know. It might just be a matter of like audiences weighted towards yeah. the game. So the, yeah, so are the people who submit things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was cool. Um, there was this there is this game called Wide Wide World. Mm-hmm. It's like a dwarf fortress esque thing <laughs> where um you when you change the terrain, it immediately affects all of the AI and stuff. And it's supposed to be an MMO. Um, but like, I guess they have some fancy tech in there to make like all of the changes happen in real time. And this, they want to expand it to be for like, I don't know, a whole lot of players. Uh-huh. I can't come up with a good number. All I don't remember there, at least five, like yeah, all of mankind. So the, so the, the innovation there is concurrency. Yes. Okay. Yeah, a lot of that is like they said, like the get the game runs in a browser, and like a, a ton of people could be playing it. And if you make any changes, it'll affect everybody like almost instantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's like a holy grail MMO. Yeah, thing. like yeah. it doesn't have a dedicated server. It uses reflector technology. Uh-huh. I'm not that advanced of a programmer to understand anything, <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I had a hard time. Those are topics longer. where, like, I feel like I could understand it. I'm just not interested. <laughs> yeah. Where's our technical designer? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. But that, that was that was the thing. It was kind of cool though to see it. Yeah. Um. The next game I'm bringing up is Ku. It's K U. Mm-hmm. This is this was my favorite game at the top. Yeah. But I only put one little sentence of a note. I don't know why I did that. I think you people thought you'd remember it all. Well, yeah. But also, I think people should just check it out because it's just really cool. Yeah. Um. So basically, like you develop your own language, um, and you can talk to people, um, using I think I forgot what the term was. There are like sixty. Man, I wish Martha was here. <laughs> there are like 60 um, words or ideas that all languages are based around. Um, ah, okay. And so it built, and so it, you, you're able to build a language based off of, or based off of these ideas and like different, uh, and then like you can um, create words that like, you know, are modifiers to these ideas and such. This language can also be used as a programming language. So you can like program desires. There's like a bunch of people in the world and you can walk around and talk to them. Yeah. Um, you can like program desires that people can have and they will communicate those desires in the language that you're using to program the game. Wild. Wow. That's great. I know. It was oh, so that's, cool. Oh, that's so perfect because there's yeah. like like um, human readable programming languages. The scripting language exists. Yes. So because you're limited to your vocabulary, because you're basically making a, an invented language, yeah. mm-hmm. that's, su- that's such a genius thing to put together. I love I it. Know. Oh, it's so good. It was so cool. I was like, oh, my God. I had to sit there for a little bit. And I was like, dang, this is an amazing game. I got to sit here and, <laughs> under- like, and t- take it all in. Yeah. It was so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I I highly recommend. Did I, I we'll we'll have a bunch of links to these games because I'm listening off a bunch of games. Yeah, yeah. Some um, I mean, some of the times in this workshop, it'll just be like prototypes no one's seen before. Right. But a lot of times there'll be games that are coming out or 
or things that have been written out elsewhere. So we should have public links for most or all of these, right? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the next game is called, I think, called Crystal Crystalgen. Mm-hmm. I'm mispronouncing that. I think I'm sorry. Uh, we'll have the link in there. Um, it's a game that is like where like everything is portrayed through flashes. You know those scenes in movies where like people are at um a rave or something and the lights are flashing and like you just see like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you'll see like flashes of people moving and you can like perceive them moving, but you don't actually see the motion in between it strobe motion yeah, yeah exactly yeah so that's this game was kind of based around that there was a lot of flashing lights and kind of gave me a headache because like when yeah. lights flash yeah, like yeah, that yeah. it gives me headache. but like i thought it was really interesting uh i was also like while i was watching i was very unnerved because i thought that like something was going to pop up uh, <laughs> i don't think that that is the case with this game but i think the whole game is complete and you can check it out because it's on mm-hmm. i think it's on itch and steam mm-hmm. um so yeah that's a game to check out um, and then my next one is I, I just put in a little phrase here. Oh Lord, Blazeball is in this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Blazeball is in this. Yeah. <laughs> so now I understand actually how Blazeball works. I put a note in here. You just log into a website, bet on games, and vote on stuff. Sometimes that's the game. Yeah, that's it. That's that's actually one of the innovations of Blazeball is that yeah. it's not a complicated experience. Yeah, yeah. it's every, everything about it. It's is the, the narrative stuff around is, it. Yeah. yeah, it's the narrative and stuff. It's like yeah. the narrative, but is it mostly needs that absurdist. mechanical core yeah. to support the rest of that nonsense. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> right. You can't build a fantasy of it all with no gameplay. Yeah, yes. but you can build it with extremely little gameplay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's why I think that's why a lot of people have a hard time explaining the game is mm-hmm. because like people want to talk about the narrative and the things that happened in the game but yep. they don't want to talk about how the game works because right. it's not as interesting um in- intentionally and not as interesting yeah um so now it's I'm- the you know when people describe like french fries as a ketchup delivery mechanism yeah it's a similar metaphor here it's like yeah. the, the gameplay is just there to deliver the rest of it yes that's <laughs> what's valuable that's what's important yeah more a more complicated set of rules a more co- more interesting game yeah would actually probably make it be- make it worse mm-hmm. right? yes exactly um maybe well potentially. <laughs> well i'm just thinking like if you really boil it down to a you know brass tacks the way that you describe a lot of games might sound boring well, well you press this button and then you press this button and if you press this button this button this button you can progress i hope i hope <laughs> listeners were taking notes yeah <laughs> i mean that's no that that's true though um yeah. actually what was interesting about this is that like they were describing like all, a lot of, i think these two were narrative designers and they were describing the, the a lot of design that went into the the, the things that happened very cool um, so yeah it was really it was really interesting yeah i was when i saw it first i was like oh no uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then you developed appreciation for it yes it, yeah. Yeah, i'm not gonna watch it i'm yeah. not gonna pay it or participate in it but i'm glad that they have it <laughs> uh, also there's blazeball recaps they have like official ones i didn't know that yeah i don't think people when people describe the game to you they want to describe it to them themselves so they <laughs> so I've never heard of a recap, but I'm sure it exists. Yeah. Um the next game is oh wait, I think this is a French name, sort of. It's like Love Sphinx. I cannot pronounce it, I'm sorry. Um it is a puzzle game where you use a, like a xylophone to discover a language. Basically, like the game was like a there was like a xylophone and it had a microphone next to it and it would pick up all the noises from the xylophone. Mm-hmm. And um there was a cube that had a bunch of um symbols that kind of looked like a maze, but it wasn't exactly a maze. Um, and you would use the xylophone to light up different things on the cube, and you're trying to figure out what all of these things mean. Ooh. Um, it's a- apparently it's, it's based like close on close encounters of the third kind. Exactly. Oh, neat. <laughs> it's based on that scene. <laughs> they literally had that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they had that in the little video. They had. I love it. Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. Uh, and they, they had a version that was because like, I think they were developing this uh, during pandemic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a version that worked with any instrument. They had some footage where like people were um, solving the puzzle with a guitar, like doing it online. And like the cube was in a different room. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. Cool. yeah it was pretty, it was pretty cool. Um, this next game is called AI Dungeon. There are a lot of games in here, y'all. Um, this next game is called AI Dungeon. Mm-hmm. It's um an actually an actual procedurally generated text-based adventure game. Mm-hmm. Whoa! Um, yeah, all of the text is AI generated, like player or wow. players or developers. Yeah, we're about ready for that now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I put in here. This is this game is how you get to the singularity. <laughs> not, not, not. Okay. So when you when you describe that, I'm thinking like the RPG version of Blue Jeans and Bloody Tears, but it. You guys know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Well, it's like, <laughs> it's a, I think it's a, it's an AI generated song. Well, I think that. Oh, the wait, le- you, you yeah. brought this up before. I, I do remember. This. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the yeah. lyrics were developed by an AI after yeah. they plugged in all the, like, the winners from Eurovision back 20 years uh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, they yeah. put it to music. Yes. Um, And the refrain is blue jeans and bloody tears. Yeah. Which. <laughs> is amazing. It's, so, it's such an Eastern European song. <laughs> so this, I mean, this game has those elements but like okay. this is like well if you read the text the text is like it seems like somebody actually like a human actually wrote it yeah, yeah it makes sense that's why i'm concerned about the singularity yeah. um gotcha yeah no it was really cool though like you would put in a you would put in a sentence that like is an actual you know how like um a lot of these text-based adventure games work is like you put in a um specific set of directions so the computer can parse that into inputs and then you'll go through a particular uh, you know, you'll go through a different branch in the narrative of the yep. game. Um, this game, you type in a sentence saying like, I want to learn how to read other people's minds and the game will be like, oh, OK, well, here's this book. Um, this is you start reading the book and the book tells you, gives you examples of things that you can do. Like it will describe all of that stuff. So hmm. like it's text generation narrative, but also it, it understands that the input is a player who wants to do things. Yes. And then for. So that's interesting. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. And it said, um, they said, I don't know how true this is, but they said that um, uh, games or gameplay that people experience, narratives that people experience are things that no one else has experienced before. Right. So, um, yeah, it's really cool. Man, I like what kind of, I mean, is it if it just accepts input and just gives you some results and then yeah. just can do that forever. Yeah. That would kind of be enough for mm-hmm. a full on experience. But I wonder how easy it would be to add stuff to it. Yeah. Like, like, could you keep track of it in inventory? Could you yeah. have, uh, you know, like narrative callbacks? Could you, you know, have a, 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 a could it be structured in advance to make sure that it follows a plot arc? Mm-hmm. You know, like how much could you feed the parameters of the generator without breaking it? Yeah. Or, or without making it too, um, uh, too cookie cutter. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's ooh, interesting. Bunch of different ways that, yeah, that game could go. Uh, yeah, it was really cool too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think this is the last game. It's Despelote. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a game about um, uh, well, it's a story about like a child growing up watching and playing soccer in Ecuador. Yeah. Mm. Um, but like things are happening in the background. So like I think you um, the, the footage that they started with was like you're in school and you're just like you know the teachers teaching, but you're not paying attention. That you're looking at people. You're looking at people playing soccer outside. Right. Um, and then like you go outside and you play soccer with people, but like you can as like the ball goes somewhere it'll roll and then you'll like walk over there and like there'll be a conversation happening in the background and stuff um the art style was really cool in this game um mm-hmm. i really and en- and en- en- enjoyed it um it's like you're like 2d 
it's like 2D images and then like you're walking around in a 3D space. Yeah. Um, but uh I don't know. It it I, I can't I don't think I'm gonna do justice describing it. Yeah. You should check it out. Um so it's like the the narrative is that you're sort of caught up with your own thing, but then there's like the world around you is yes. sort of the thing outside your vision. Yeah, is it, where the story is being told. Yeah, the developer was the one describing it and they were um the, the the way that they were describing it is like they wanted you to feel like you know you were caught up doing something focusing on soccer or focusing mm-hmm. on stuff that's happening in your life where all these other things are happening um they described in i believe it was an no it was a a, a mexican movie mm-hmm. that came out where like there's these two teenagers going on a road trip somewhere um and then they'll have like road trip adventures but like in between all of that they will be like it'll like cut from that and go into like what's actually happening around them yeah. that, that like they're not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sometimes it's like somber stuff. I'll have to look at the movie. I look up the movie for that. Cause it was, it was cool. Yeah. Well, like famously, um, like, you know, um, it's a kind of narrative that I think is really effective and not used well enough. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't like the good, the bad and the ugly. Like it's, it's a, it's about Clint Eastwood's nameless guy, but in the background is the civil war. And, oh. like, and that's where all the impact of the movie is yeah. not not in the character's journey, which is essentially very light. Yeah. Um, there's also like this war of mine is a game yeah. that's sort of like that. And I, I feel like the the I would love that kind of more mature storytelling where we take our protagonists away from being like the most important characters in the worlds that we build. Yeah. I think of like, man, what would Mass Effect be like if you weren't Shepard? Like you, you could still make a really compelling, thrilling gameplay with that happening around you yeah mm-hmm. um you yeah don't, you don't have to be the one in that is the most important yeah right? i've always wanted a really well done like move or show or tv show or movie or something where like you know you're just a citizen in this in metropolis or whatever and superman's yeah. having a giant back uh, battle right, in the right, background right. or something yeah you're like dang it's happening again yeah. um they <laughs> had a movie like or a, a tv show like that but it got canceled yeah i don't know what you're talking about yeah that, well that's an opportunity for irony or comedy but yeah. I, I feel like it could be used better yeah. or, or you know, that's actually good i think people should yeah. be doing more of that too mm-hmm. but I, I think more having something where it's you just a place you're, you have a place in the world yes you're not the one guiding the world yeah right? yeah i agree yeah. i agree that would be very fascinating too i mm-hmm. like that um yeah i think that was the last one since i did watch another talk i don't know how long i've been going for how long i've been talking <laughs> uh for quite a while but we got time okay cool <laughs> uh yeah, I watched another talk. It was all about spreadsheets, as I alluded to earlier. Uh-huh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's what it's what listeners have been waiting for all episode. Yes. <laughs> Barely. Stephen was like, "Listen, I, I, you know, I have a hard time listening to talks. I get bored. Yep. But the one I was really jazzed about was the one about spreadsheets. I mean, I got bored during this talk too. I'm not gonna lie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that long. It was only 30 minutes, but it just it's a lot of talk. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I kind of just took notes on random things on there. Um, the, the 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 person who did the talk, they had this this link. Um, we'll put it in the show notes again. Um, that like it disseminates all of this information so everybody can check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the stuff that they talked about with respect to the spreadsheets and stuff, I kind of knew. Um, like I knew what a filter was. Um, I don't use those <laughs> enough though when I'm making a spreadsheet, so that was neat. Mm-hmm. Um, brought up pivot tables. I don't know what that is. There's like this like. It was like beyond the scope of the talk. I don't know. That's pretty advanced. Is it? I don't use pivot tables. Okay. Yeah. It seems like a thing. Like it seemed like people who use pivot tables already know how to use pivot tables. People who are interested in pivot tables know enough about pivot tables to not want to be interested about it in the talk. <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know what this is. Isn't that? Yeah. So, I don't know either. But I think it's that's where you started. Like, you might as well just be running a database. Like maybe. Yeah. Right, once you get to that level. Okay. 
Sure. Uh-huh. We all sound very hilarious. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> 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 well, it's, the tough thing is from a learning from a learning perspective. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is difficult to learn about something if you don't know why you would like how it relates to you. you yeah, know what I mean? yeah. It doesn't yep. solve an immediate problem you have. Right. So yep. if you had a problem or if you were given a problem that you needed to solve and the best solution was a pivot table, that would help. That would help it stick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they brought up drop downs, which I learned about when we were doing Robosan. Thank yeah. you, Helen. Mm-hmm. Um, they said negative things about drop downs. I didn't understand that. What kind oh. of negative things did they say? I, it was just Ellen, like, Ellen, hold back. She's getting in her fighting stance. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was, it was vague. It was like, oh no, people are, you know, people in the chat are going, oh, drop downs are terrible. But here are the benefits of drop downs. And I was like, why are drop downs terrible? They didn't describe that in the, in the talk. I, I, I would, I would venture that it's because um, both Google Sheets and, and uh, Excel have autocomplete for things you've entered already. Oh. So it might just be like a waste of time. Like you might like if you if you need to fill in something you filled in before, just type the first letter and you're gonna get that as a suggestion. But I don't know. I mean that's that's a potential argument. I don't know that I would make that argument. Yeah, I don't know. They like I said, they didn't make an argument. It depends on why you're using this. It requires you to maintain a separate data somewhere else. Yeah. But then but then you can up like yeah, I I they seem great. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It depends on why you're using it. It depends on why you're using it. It depends. It always does. Yeah. Um, there was also this um, uh, tool that they used to to export like sheet data, and th- there was a link for that on there too that I took a note on. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you can make buttons in Google Sheets. I didn't know that. Apparently, by coding in JavaScript, you can make a fancy button for. Things. Oh well, never mind then. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I felt too. <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't want to learn. And then they, then they'll run, uh, uh, you know, macros or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and okay. you can, yeah, like I think they made a button so that you can export the sheet data, and I think that that's what this link uh, is supposed to help. That, you with. It does sound very useful. It does, yeah. yeah but I do they talk I about? Do they talk about how Google Sheets can do those sick checkboxes? They did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, they went over all the different strengths and weaknesses of not just Excel and Google Sheets, but other different um, uh, uh, spreadsheet uh-huh. technology. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. are there others that are just sort of uh, competing with those two big heavy hitters? Or are there ones that are like specific for certain tasks? Um, I, I assume they're for, they, they had like a little thing on the I didn't get a chance to read it, but they had a thing on the bottom that said the benefits of these specifically. But they had like a, um, a, a not a graph, a table. Uh, like, does this have this feature? Yes or no? Most mm-hmm. of the things had the features um, mm-hmm. that um, that all the other ones had, except for like cloud saving and stuff. Right. And that you don't always need cloud saving. So, um, but like even then, like only a couple of them, um, like only a couple of the features did, were not featured in everything else. So it mm, kind of yeah. feels like you could just use anything. And most, almost all of the uh, things in that talk can applies to all of the other spreadsheet things that you could use. sure sure so, cool yeah um i did i realized i didn't take that many notes on this talk <laughs> it just went right into your yeah. brain yeah you just absorbed it all clearly and that's why i'm talking about it yeah. now all well, of the I mean, maybe maybe you're talking <laughs> about the, the context of like i mean i think as a game designer you're like oh, of course you have a spreadsheet talk at the game developers conference yeah but like that's not always immediately obvious yeah right like what you'd use them for well they did they did actually go over like um they had like a list of people who had said um why i use or what i love about spreadsheets and stuff but there are a couple of people who are in that thing who were like uh i have to use spreadsheets begrudgingly and they have some benefits but there are also a lot of negative things about it yeah like one person was like i have to keep updating the spreadsheet and i'm sick of and i don't like have to having to you know remember to update the spreadsheet for me right in order for it to be useful 
Uh, you know, that's a fair criticism. Mm-hmm. There are ways to automate some of that stuff, but that doesn't work for everything. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like that kind of stuff is, makes things kind of difficult. Yeah. Um, I'm I, waiting for a spreadsheet tool that lets you put in arbitrary data and then while you're editing it, reformats like a bit. I have a column and every, and every cell in this column is a three is three paragraphs of text. Mm-hmm. I don't want the rows to be very tall and I don't want to have I don't need to read them in that way. I want to be able to but when I want to edit them, I want a nice editing experience. I think local in localization, this is a problem where people who do narrative design in spreadsheets, the editing experience is very frustrating mm-hmm. you know, when you're not editing essentially strictly, you know, s- small scale bites of bits of data. Yeah. Um, I'm like waiting for innovation in that space to like have a better experience, to be well, more, more database like and more more multiple views, yeah. you know, because it, it's it's possible that some of these spreadsheet um, yeah. text that I had never heard of that you could use for maybe they where's have my three dimensional spreadsheet. That's, um, <laughs> I'm like not even joking. Like spreadsheets. The <laughs> RPG AI is working on it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's basically everything, right, Stephen? I mean, yeah, that was all of the it's talks. The one, it's all the talks that I saw, all the ones you saw, all there the ones were, Ellen saw. There yep. were only five <laughs> talks. <laughs> that's a, that's a, yeah. <laughs> no. There, there is a lot of things, and actually there were a lot of things that were made by local developers, too, um, yes. um, that we didn't cover. Um, maybe we'll put some links in there. Yeah, you know, uh, there's of of the people who've been guests on this show, mm. like they're well represented at GDC this year, which yeah. is pretty cool. Hooray! Yeah, so lots of friends of the program, um, and we'll we'll um, we'll put the links to the the talks that we talked about uh, in these show notes, and then some general links uh, to like GDC's YouTube page and where you can find more information about all of the, the a lot of the stuff. Yeah. Um, and again, if you're listening to this from well into the future, you know, hopefully a lot of the this year's talks will be on their YouTube page as well by now. Um. But uh, yeah, and we'll have more thoughts on GDC, I guess, next year. Yes. And probably a little in the meantime. Yes. Two weeks or like two months from now, Ellen comes in. I watched the talks, you guys. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm sort of tempted to like, there's so much and it's all available to us. Yeah. Like, we could do a part. We two. could just do this again. We could like have content for months. Yeah. Just doing a couple of these talks. Yeah. You know, every time. Yeah. Listeners, let us know. Yes, use the feedback form. Mm-hmm. You know where to find it. Nice games that club that slash. Stephen, they know where to find it, but but, but <laughs> you but don't have to say nice games that club slash feedback. They you, they they understand. They but don't need to feel like they're talked down. Nice games club slash feedback. That's our show. Check out our website nicegames.club, for all the show notes and links to resources that Mark just mentioned. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and whether we should do a part two and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club slash feedback, just like Stephen said, and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and where should we begin a game of stories. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? There are so many ways. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about your favorite episodes. Join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club slash Discord. And we're on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice.
Um, um, I have a, I have an easy ball, low ball, easy. I have an easy question for you, Stephen, yes. which I promised you before we started. <laughs> Thank you. Hard questions for Mark today. Easy <laughs> questions for Stephen. Yay! <laughs> when you say in the game Shim, yes, or Shizism, one, one of them names that they're walking around in shadows. Yes, is that shadows spelled with S C H? S no, <laughs> no, it is not. Okay, <laughs> just regular shadows. Okay. Yeah, like your hand. No, because <laughs> like the, the the title of the game. Yeah, I, 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 I got it. I got it. It's- <laughs> We can cut that part. <laughs> no. <it's, laughs> cool. It's, they're not that clever. Next talk. <laughs>